0: Welcome to Brillante, the podcast with a French accent, which gives a voice to women who move the lines. My name is Jeanne Dussartel, and between Zurich, where I live, and Paris, where I come from, my goal is to meet the sparkling, powerful, talented, and inspiring women with a typical backgrounds and beautiful projects, to understand what drives them and makes them move forward. Discussions that I hope will encourage you to think outside the box, cross your boundaries, and develop your own brilliant projects. She hasn't finished her studies yet, but she's already fighting on a daily basis to make her professional sector, tech, a more inclusive one. A place where women and men would fight on equal terms. Three years ago, Celine Neuer co-founded Code Excursion, a coding school by and for women conceived as a community. There, she teaches women about programming in a helpful, passionate and including way. Her goal is to help and encourage women take ownership of such a male-dominated sector.
1: I don't think that it's natural that the higher you get in you know your career, the less women there are. There is a lot of research done into the glass ceiling in science and there definitely is one and we have to break it. It's really from many many angles it's so important that women have a say in this field and i think one way to break it is to motivate as much women to get into it and to be enforced to do a career in that field as i was
0: since the beginning of her studies celine has been navigating in the least feminized academic and professional environments science and technology Today, women still represent on average only 30% of science, technology, engineering and mathematics students. And this percentage decreases with the expertise level. Only 5% of leadership positions in the tech sector are held by women. But these figures have never discouraged Céline. After a bachelor's degree in physics at the University of Zurich, the woman, whose aim in life is to learn as much as possible, is now finishing a master's degree in neuroscience and computation at the ETH. In this interview, Céline tells how the gender-neutral education she received pushed her down this path. She explains how the years at university, between Zurich and Taiwan, but also in the industry, at Swiss Post Solutions, convinced her to fight for parity and equality in tech and
1: science. Data science is more and more important. And I think in many ways, So, for example, if you work with algorithms that are based on data, there are biases in the data. And as a woman, maybe you are more alert towards bias against women.
0: Through clear and concrete examples, Céline describes why the scientific world today is anything but meritocratic, and she demonstrates the absolute necessity for diversity in the tech and scientific world. Role models, female initiatives, quotas, we go through all the solutions that can be implemented to promote gender equality. So to everyone of you who thinking about learning how to code, or would just like to better understand those crucial topics for democracies, I invite you to dive in into this exciting and challenging conversation. Hi Céline, I'm super happy to have you. Thank you for welcoming me in your nice apartment in the Kreisir of Zurich and for accepting my invitation. So if I wanted to have you today, It's because you're one of the only women I know that has been studying physics and now neural sciences and computation. And also because you created this amazing code excursion, which is a school for women to learn how to code. And uh, I want to talk about all this, to talk about women in tech, women in science at university, but also in the working life. Yes. So welcome. And thank you for accepting my invitation.
1: Hello, Sean. I'm super happy that you um, asked me and to be part of your project. Yes, I'm happy to talk about all these things because they are really dear to my heart. To start with,
0: I always like to ask what did you think when you heard this name, Brillante, for the first time? And uh, do you have an example of a sparkling woman, someone that is really inspiring you, that you can tell us about?
1: When I hear Beyond, I would think about projects or especially in context of the projects that you're talking about. Um, I think of something outside of the box or something that I would not expect, but I'm really delighted to find out about a certain person or about a certain project, about a certain background. And a woman that's particularly inspiring to myself in my surrounding, I mean, aside of your mother, obviously, um, grandmother, um, always, is um, Corina. She's the co-founder of Code Excursion with me, of our um, organization where we teach women how to code. And she's so inspiring to me because she is really thinking differently like everybody else. And she studied tourism originally, and then she self-taught her to program. And she did it all of out of her own initiative. And through and with Code Excursion, she achieved that she's now hired as a developer. And I think that's pretty amazing, doing that after you already finished your education.
0: That's a really good example. And that's a good uh, point to, to enter the subject that we are going to talk about. So um, just to understand a bit where do you come from, you can maybe explain us where were you born and raised and also tell me, what did you want to become when you were young?
1: I was born and raised in a tiny village in Argau called uh-huh. frischbach Göslikon. And from, well, it's a very tiny village, very traditional, not a place where you necessarily are exposed to, you know, tons of opportunities and ideas what you could do. But nevertheless, I was always really encouraged um, to doing things in, in technology and in science. So my dad, it was just small things. Like he gifted me a Lego technology cars and then he, together with me, started to put them together. There are parts of the engines. He taught me how an engine works when I was six years old or so. Did really fun examples with me in math and um, also electricity because he's originally trained, trained as an electrician. And I think these kind of examples kind of familiarized me with the... With the with, world of science. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I liked it. I Also, I think as a girl, you get a lot of good feedback if you like these things. What Com- do you mean by this? Well, if you are a girl and you're good in math or you're good in science, then people would always appreciate this and always point it out and say, oh, this one is really good in, in math and so on and so forth, maybe not the same as a boy would be reinforced if he would you know be really good at I don't know taking care of his little sister well probably yes I don't know whether that's true anyways I think girls are really super um reinforced you felt
0: pushed in this direction in a way yes by your professors at schools? And... Well, in,
1: in elementary school and also later on, it's always something people are not expecting. They're like, oh yeah, you're a girl and you know this. Oh yeah, you're a girl and you're good at that. It's kind of surprising, which is not a good thing. But if you get positive reinforcement as a child, it's always, I think, somewhat pushing you in that direction.
0: So for you, it was clear that you would go into science or in the technical field?
1: No, not at all, because I think when I went to high school, it kind of went the opposite direction. I was kind of in a teenage rebellion phase, and I did not really like to study anymore. And also, I was more questioning the world. I was more into philosophy. And also, I did not care so much about math and science anymore. But when it came down to choosing what I was going to study... I realized that based on all of these interests from, you know, creative writing to philosophy, to history, to physics, to math, I wanted to study something and put so much time in studying a subject which I could not study otherwise. And I think thinking about history, for example, I can study this by myself. I can read books about history. I can read the newspaper Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. But unless you are really good and disciplined to study, you cannot study physics by yourself. And I think this compromise less subject really attracted me.
0: So that was a really rational choice.
1: Yes, in that sense, yes. But also, I mean, I'm really interested in it, finding answers and, you know, being able to explain the world around you a little bit better. So when you when you entered
0: university, because you went to university in physics in Zurich, after your A-level, your matura. Mm-hmm. It was like this, so I choose this because it will not close any doors, kind of. Because it will teach me things that I would not get otherwise.
1: Yes, but it's not about doors that are closing in you know, a professional way. It's more doors that are closing in what I could know in my lifetime. Because the ultimate goal is to know as much as possible. For you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so you went to university... To Zurich and then there you studied physics for your bachelor. Mm -hmm. If you're talking to someone who doesn't know what physics is about, how would you explain it and how would you explain that you chose
1: physics? I think really um, important for me to make that choice was also this uh, one text of René Descartes, I think therefore I am. I was reading that in high school and he explains that you know, if you want to study and if you want to understand the world around you, there are different levels of extra- abstraction. So for example, if you study biology, you really have to do it on this planet. You know, you, you learn things and mechanisms and about plants and animals living here, right? So what if you would lose your eyes and your hearing or your touch, for example? And then, you know, gradually, if the sensory inputs to your system are taken away, you can not, for example, study biology anymore because you don't know it exists this way, right, so physics is a bit more fundamental because physics does not really relate to things only on this planet, right? You can do physics from a different planet and we hope that it would be the same because the laws are fundamental, and then on top of everything is mathematics because you even if you can if you only have a brain and no eyes and no smell and no friends and (laughs) no nothing you can still do math (laughs) and um on that scale i felt most attracted to universal laws and therefore physics yeah it's
0: quite impressive the way you thought about your studies you you were definitely not the kind of person that just uh, studied you know business because everyone is doing so you were really questioning yourself
1: yeah, I mean, you have to spend mm-hmm. um, a long time doing it, yeah, <laughs> so you <no>. better know <laughs> what you want to do. Um, but also, I think it was not just a rational decision, I also just liked it. I felt really treated well when I got went to University of Zurich, and then I asked them whether someone can explain me how the studies are working, and so on and so forth. You go to the director of the institute, he was having a sandwich sitting in, a, in opposite of me, and telling me everything that I needed to know to judge whether this is the right place for me. And I think this personal connection to a person who is not just a study advisor from the school was really, really helpful. And I think these parts were also good. And
0: convinced you. Yeah.
1: And now you are studying neural science and computation
0: for your master's. So you changed from physics to another subject. Now you are at ETH, which is the Polytechnicum. How did you do this
1: choice and and why? What was... So after the bachelor in physics, you know, you have to do a research project in the end and I was doing it in laser physics and I knew that from there I could easily go into a master's doing laser physics um, and go into that direction. Um, But I thought it's more exciting for me not to go into this preset path Obviously, it's also hard to continue in laser physics and there will be a lot of challenges. But I kind of knew what I was expecting. So I was trying to find a way to learn more in a completely different direction. And then I found this program uh, through a friend and it sounded perfect because it's related to a lot of biology also. So the brain is you know something that you would naturally study in biology Um, but it's also really interesting from a physicist's point of view because you can use a lot of your physics knowledge also in that area I found out by um, going a little deeper in many areas there's laws from physics there are that are applied to the brain models that you translate and use it in an in a Contexts of neuroscience, and I think that was really interesting to kind of continue the science, but also learn a lot of new things. So
0: neuroscience—it's—it's—it's it's, it's about understanding how the brains work and applying this to to new technologies, basically.
1: So our institute is called um, Institute of Neuroinformatics, um, and it's also it's located at the University of Zurich and at ETH Zurich. And the goal of the institute or the direction of the institute, I would describe as Um, people are trying to understand the mechanisms of the brain from really different perspectives. So there are the biologists who are trying to see what mechanisms will result in what behavior or what are the, the neural signals when animals are doing certain actions or activities. Then there are the other parts where there's more theoretical computation, uh, theoretical computer scientists, where they actually try to s- look at these mechanisms from biology and they try to translate it into programs. So you can actually use no machine learning and artificial intelligence. It's remotely connected to biology. And we can make it even more biologically plausible. And then there are the third kind of division are people who are more maybe in an electrical engineering kind of background um, who see these programs and they are creating hardware computer Mm -hmm. chips sensory devices that are designed in order to work with these algorithms these are kind of the three directions and all because the brain is a crazy thing that is super good in the way it computes. I mean, you sit here in front of me and you right now your brain is taking in so many sensory inputs. It also uh, takes care of your hormones at the moment. At the same time, it, you're speaking to me and you're holding your microphone. It's so many things that a computer needs to be super large in order to do the same thing. And we struggle to do the same things right now in...
0: in to create machines yeah. that and programs that are actually doing the same yes. way. Yeah. So now you, you explain me what what your institute is doing, but what are you concretely doing yourself? What are you working on?
1: Right now, I am doing my master thesis, and there I'm working on biologically inspired navigation algorithm for drones. What does it mean yeah. concretely? For example, when you think about the fruit fly. It's a really small animal, right? But it does really a good job at navigation. So, you know, it can hover over at the same place. It can, you know, land on leaves and whatever. It's a, it's a really remarkable animal. And all, all that given, it has a tiny brain. So what we are doing is developing robotic navigation algorithms that are inspired by biology and are also using biologically inspired hardware so computer chips that are working similar as the brain and using algorithms that are working similar as algorithms in the brain and these are working really differently from normal computer algorithms on normal computer chips and therefore we need to create new ways Mm -hmm. um, in order to implement them and what do you want to become after What kind
0: of job do you get after this? (laughs) Next question. I really, (laughs) um, I don't. (laughs) You don't need to answer right now. We're going to talk about everything that you're doing already.
1: I know. (laughs) I know. Um, But yeah, my honest answer to it is that I'm really not sure. But the most plausible,
0: you know, kind of job that you would get if you were hired at Google now, what would you
1: do there? Mm, If I'm hired at a big company. It's likely that I would do some either first to a PhD because often that's a requirement. Um, Often people who are going to work at companies are working as um, computer scientists, engineers, data scientists, um, researchers, um, also in roboticists. There are some, well, biologists, neuroscientists, these kind of jobs. And for me, it would be more in probably a data science. direction yeah okay
0: so um, during your studies you went two times to taiwan you studied there i I know that you have a big passion for taiwan and uh, that you're learning chinese and you can speak chinese how is it to go to university there to what extent is it different to the universities from switzerland
1: it's quite different to be honest so that also the school system in taiwan is really different and I really like to experience exactly that because I think it's important to not take it as a given the way you're raised and you grow up, um, especially if you come from a privileged place like Switzerland. And um, in Taiwan, the mentality is that you need to have a university degree. So your parents and the society is really pushing hard such that you get into a good university because everybody goes into university a high competition to get into a good one whereas in switzerland after you you pass the matura you can go to any university you want even you know to eth which is in the best university yeah it has a really good ranking but it works really different and also it was really interesting to go there and see that people who are in universities in taiwan they're not on the radar of you know a scientist, for example choosing a university or if you are um, wanting to do a PhD for example you're not necessarily looking at Taiwan as a as a place to go because it's not f- famous for universities well it's Taiwan is has really good universities but we don't know them or we mm-hmm. are not likely to know them coming from Switzerland for example and they're not ranked in the global on these lists as high rankings exactly yeah but it was really cool for me and really eye-opening for me to see that obviously people there are no less smart (laughs) than we are I think in fact it's quite the contrary what I experienced I had the one of some of the best lessons that I had in my entire studies I had in Taiwan the ones that I learned most my bachelor thesis that I was doing there in a laser lab I was well integrated. I had an experience that I think I could not have had here. Also, the whole um, cultural thing. So my lab meetings were in Chinese. I, I had a hard time or it was even impossible to follow for me. But still, I was always feeling like I was a part of it. And we we achieved great things together. And also in the second time I went in my master. I also did a research project there and it was really cool to collaborate with people that are not speaking your language, that have a completely different background, but you have a common ground that connects you and you... Which is this passion for science. So, yes. Yeah. But coming back to the question, what it taught me going to this and university in such different places that the opportunities that I have after graduating from... University of Zurich or ETH and people have from one of the best universities in Taiwan is that I have probably an easier start into the job world that many of them have but they're no less competent and I think that it really taught me that the science world is not a meritocracy and it really depends on where you were educated and raised and I think we should not forget that, especially when we are <laughs> claiming that ETH is one of the best universities in the world, which it is, but it's only because it's in Switzerland.
0: For me, I just noticed a difference that's huge already between France and Switzerland. I notice how people just enter university like this, all the best universities, but to enter Polytechnique in France, it's extremely hard. And then to get a PhD, uh, because just there is no money and not enough budget, You have to be the best of the best of the best. And here there are many, you can get a PhD way more easily than in France. So this already, like this competition part, of course, has a big impact, I guess.
1: Yes. And then there is also the resources like, for example, in particle physics, for example, we have CERN and we have PSI, which are two of the world leading institutions and facilities. Of course, it's shared with also other countries, but... Having them here also means that we have kind of a privilege to use them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are some other of these facilities around Europe, but Switzerland has a lot of those, yeah, which also results in science then. And yeah. Super
0: interesting, anyways. So, about all these studies that you've done in physics and uh, and then neuroscience, uh, you kind of chose the field in which there were really only few women. We know that. Today, in what we call STEM, which are sciences, technology, engineering, and mathematics, there are only one third of the students that are women. But especially in the field that you chose, there was even fewer women. Did you know this when you started studying? Were you expecting to study only with men, or almost? And how was it for you?
1: I mean, obviously, (laughs) I knew that there were not so many women in physics, as in other degrees, but I was also already in a high school class that was focused on math. So I already had that exposure there a little bit. Was and it already like this in high school? It was not as it was not as extreme, but you can choose some certain key subjects and I chose math at the beginning. And yeah. that already results in having a lot of people around, especially in that math class that are guys. Yeah. I honestly don't know. I cannot explain so much... Because my personal experience was different. I was felt really reinforced to do something in that field. And I also personally really liked it. I don't know why there were so few. But yeah, that's it was expectable. The statistics
0: show that in high school, I think they, they are for France, but there are 47% of women in the scientific baccalaureate. And then it drops to 34% when it goes to studies. And then it drops to around 20% of women in the industry. So this is kind of going down and down and down. And when you are studying physics, it's less than one third of the students that are women. How was it for you there in the university?
1: Um, In the university, I personally had a really cool surrounding of really nice friends. Um, I did not feel alienated. Uh, most of the time, being a woman studying these subjects, obviously there were moments um, which were really not good and should not have happened with colleagues that I'd studied with. Um, like sexism or... like Some people had made sexist comments or, you know, overstepped some boundaries they should not have. And But I always had the impression that these occasions were mainly in my... amongst the student body and it was never coming from... A professor, for example, I had never a bad interaction with a professor or I was treated poorly because I'm a I'm female. But there were some of these moments in my studies or when I achieved something and then people told me that I only achieved this because I'm a woman. So, you know, in the right moment, your sex is is kind of used against you, which was making me sad at the time. But also... I realized then that it's actually important to kill this stigma and to, to f- advocate for women in that field um, as something that I did not feel that I had to do when I first started studying it. I think that only developed over the time.
0: There are many uh, things that are done by Swiss universities, actually. I know that all the teachers are receiving classes about gender issue issues, to be able to understand all the problems and what lies behind but if i'm playing the naive why is it important in universities to have as many women studying science as men
1: i think what you described before is that this ratio drop drops by over time so if you enter university in a, in a science degree it's already not so much but it will drop over time and i think that's one of the most pressing issues um, and I think it can be solved if you actually get a lot of women into tech because I don't think that it's natural that the higher you get in, in you know your career, the less women there are. There is a lot of research done into the glass ceiling in science and there definitely is one and we have to break it. It's really from many many angles, it's so important that women have a say in this field. And I think one way to break it is to motivate as much women to get into it and to be enforced to do a career in that field as I was in the beginning. Does it answer this question? It's,
0: of course, it kind of answered the question. But yeah. what, what I wanted to know is more about universities, like really focusing on universities and studies. Because, you know, this number that we uh, were saying, like well, one third of the students mm-hmm. are women, it drops. Like I know that in the ATH, only 15% of professors, like fixed professors, mm-hmm. are women. So these datas are getting kind of worse the higher you go inside the universities themselves. Yes and I would like to to have your point of view on this like to to what extent does it have an impact on you women studying
1: physics I think if you don't have a female professor you're definitely not as enforced not as motivated or not as confident that you can achieve the same thing even though we know that now that there's no difference in intelligence for example between men and women and technically everybody can do the same things it really makes a difference whether or not you actually see a person in front of you that can be some kind of a role model. And it's not just being a professor and being competent in the field, but also, you know, succeeding in discussions, in scientific discussions, um, being an expert, being regarded as an expert by other people. So if you have an example like this, then you get the feeling that, wow, okay, I could... Be as competent as this person in front of me if i study well, hard enough hard enough yes yeah. and i think that's really something very motivating and then on the other side there is a, definitely a need for the female perspective of many things and there's many fields of research where a female perspective is essential yeah so during your studies in 2018 you created a
0: project that you are still working on, that I was introducing a bit. The Code Excursion, which is a coding school for women that you co-created with this Corina that you were telling us about. Uh, Can you explain us a bit the concept of this project? How did you come with this idea of creating such a school?
1: Mm, So I met Corina at an event for women in tech. Um, Another friend of me was involved in that. And I just went there because they were teaching a new Programming language, and then Corina was there too. We started talking, and we realized that we had really similar experiences in the tech industry, even though we were having completely different backgrounds. So, as I said, she studied tourism, and I was doing the science degree, but nevertheless, in the programming part, we had the same experiences. So, you're not really educated in physics to become a programmer. But nevertheless, it's essential to do research because in the end, everybody is coding. And on her side, she did a degree that was mostly business, but she was really interested in getting into the field and she started doing it herself. But she was really intimidated. And so was I at the beginning. And we realized these parallels that we had. Also, we were intimidated that we, for example, when we went to a course, we not really dare to ask the questions yeah then we realized we both feel sometimes intimidated by the environment we both had similar struggles in that sense and we both agreed that it should not be the case because we both believe that everybody in essence can learn how to code and we firmly believe this this is not just a nice thing to say actually coding depends on what language you learn it does not need to be very mathematical you don't have to have a very strong background in a technological field right it's more similar to studying languages some well in some cases and then we agreed that we would like to create an environment which actually fosters a way and a collaborative way where you can ask all the questions you want to ask and feel comfortable, feel comfortable with your own speed. And she already started Code Excursion in Sweden by herself. She was in Sweden to work and she was um, working in a startup. She got really interested in coding because they needed a new website. So she tried, I think, to take care of that as far as I remember. And therefore she needed to learn how to code. And then she, together with a friend, they decided that Well, it would be nice not to do it alone. So they just opened an event on Facebook. And all of a sudden, I think over 100 people signed up for this event where they basically just watch the same online course from some online platform like Udemy or Udacity. That's how it started. And from there, we... So the idea was more to kind of create a community to learn together. Yes, a community to learn together, a safe space where you feel comfortable, asking questions and you get the support from other people also learning the same things. Why do you think
0: people should actually learn how to code today?
1: Because, you know, digitalization is a word that everybody uses right now amongst many other words like machine learning and whatever. And there are so many jobs created and changed also from maybe previously business jobs to tech-related jobs, like from managing IT projects to effectively coding jobs, right? And in order to fill these jobs, you have to have a certain background. And people who already finished their studies, they don't have the same opportunities as someone who is now in school, for example, because schools are slowly adapting to that and there are more classes and coding and IT, so on and so forth but not for people who are already having a job, right? So um, it's really important to fill the gap and to allow these people also to be part of that development. And I think therefore you need initiatives because you cannot expect everybody to be courageous enough to learn it by themselves. Um, Well, learning by yourself is important, but it's better if you do it as part of a community. Yeah.
0: It's, uh, it's funny, I was listening to another podcast about Le Wagon, which is a coding school also that uh, was created in Paris, and uh, they were saying that many students that were taking part of these boot camps were actually young professionals that just finished their studies in really good business schools, for instance, and then realized that they had no technical knowledge, that they were not able to really do something with their hands, kind of, and that coding was the possibility for them to create something like a website, an app, or something that they could really see, not like all this knowledge that they had been just gathering during these five past years. Is it the same for you in a code Christian? Is it the same kind of people that are attending the classes?
1: Uh, Yes. So I would say the profile is young professionals who either have a business background, for example, or whatever background they want to improve their knowledge um, because they need it for their job. So that's one profile. And another profile is someone who wants to have a complete career change. For example, they realize five years into their career that they would actually like to do something differently. And coding is a really fun (laughs) thing to do, frankly. So I think that's how people get into it too,
0: yes. So first of all, Codex Cursion is a non-profit organization and you are giving classes not all the year long, but just a few months in a year. Can you just explain these parts and also the classes? How is it working? How you do you get organized?
1: Um, it's, we are now in the third year of the Codex Excursion, and we, we have, well, we changed a lot in that time. The team grew bigger, so we now we are five people in the core. I'm all having really different backgrounds, and we are cha- we changed from being a business to being a non nonprofit organization. We felt that this matches better who we are and who we want to be. And so, the so what do you want to be? We want to create a community for women to get into tech, and it's education and we believe that education should be non-profit. So we have, for example, a three months, two to three months course each fall that teaches women to get into front-end development. As part of this course, they create their first website, a responsive website where there is some back-end parts also, which is a really good start in order to grasp what the field is about. So from finishing the code excursion, you can then gauge better whether you actually want to pursue a career in that direction, or you have a foundation in tech, in how the internet works and have a technical understanding that you can maybe use when you talk to a developer at your firm as part of a project. So you meet every Saturday morning, we have an online course that everybody' is following individually, but we are trying to keep everybody um, sort of on the same track, but you can do it as fast as you want. It's also it's as I said, it's online so it's not technically necessary that you are there all the time. We strongly encourage it, but if you have to take care of your child, for example, you can stay at home and do it from home. We have online support where you can ask your questions and submit your projects, you get code review. And then the big part is the community to have actually meet people who are interested in the same thing as you, maybe have a really different background, maybe have a really similar background. And everybody really gets empowered to continue working on it because it's a really friendly and not a competitive environment in any way. And the same we want to be as coaches, we don't try to be the all-knowing people who are making an example. We are as much learning people as the participants, which is sometimes, I think, not everybody likes this style because a lot of people are used to have a teacher and that, that teacher... That knows everything. That, yes, exactly. And
0: It's quite often in coding schools. It's like this Ecole 42. Again, sorry, I'm all again talking in, about Paris. Do you know the concept mm-hmm. where there mm-hmm. they are no teachers, actually? Mm-hmm. Just the students all together are going through all these different steps and in the end they become developers but they don't need teachers, they just need to help each other and to create this community.
1: Yes, I really like that concept by the way and that's exactly what we feel is important for us too and also when we learn ourselves is that you have competent people that are willing to help you and obviously we know what we are doing and we, we don't need to pretend to be you know an all-knowing person when we are actually not and i frankly think no one is actually when i talk about Ecole 42
0: it's maybe a really good concept but it has one of the biggest biases that the tech world has Uh, it was in the media in the in 2018 i think because of a problem of sexism inside the school and mobbing against women and it was really difficult as a girl to study in a school. So again we come back to the question of women in the field of science and technology. So I, I would like to discuss with you about two points that I think are quite important to understand why is it important to push for more equality in this field. So the, the first one is of course the lack of women in the field, like just a number fact. And the second one is more about this algorithm that, that have in themselves biases that can increase the inequalities in the societies. So if you talk first about the women representation in the tech field, there is only between 15 and 25% of data science professionals that are women today. So you've been working a bit in the field in a company at the post.
1: How did you feel this? In my team at Swiss Post Solutions where I was working as during my master's degree in between bachelor and master I was doing an internship there. I was the only woman in my team that was doing something technology related. And I don't know whether, honestly, Sean, I I don't know how to justify whether that's important that I was there. It's just that if you are working in a field where, you know, the the field is growing, data science is more and more important. And I think in many ways. So for example, if you work with algorithms that are based on, on data, as you said before, there are biases in the data and as a woman maybe you are more alert towards bias against women then the other part is that if you there are more and more data science jobs there also will be more leader jobs in data science and as we know there's not many jobs in switzerland leadership positions that are filled by women so if the tech field is growing hence in worst case there will be even less women in leadership positions because there is less people in the technology field. And I think that's another important part why women should be in that field. Then another example is, for example, you know, this famous Swiss startup called Ava. They do data science, also about fertility tracking. And I think it's really important, even though everybody can read up on Wikipedia in biology books, how the female cycle is working, I think in order to optima to create an optimal product for a woman, there actually need to be women in the team developing it, and not just on the user end also in the on the on the end of the data
0: that's actually a quite a famous example of the consequences of the lack of women in the field. There has been apps created. Around the health problems and uh, you know to analyze your your rhythm, your card your cardiac rhythm and stuff since ages. But these applications that are just for women to analyze your cycles, your period, and stuff came really late, and that's typically because just they were only men that were coding and thinking about the algorithms and thinking about these apps. I guess
1: that's yeah, I think a really important example. And yeah, you can. Probably think of complexes examples like this. Yeah, yeah.
0: So there is another thing that I want to talk about. Maybe you are going to help me understand it better. You know, it's about this machine learning that can actually reproduce biases in the society. So these machines are kind of learning to act and think like humans. Can you explain us a bit how it works, this algorithm, and why why is it re-
1: reproducing these biases? In general, how it's working is that somehow you collect the data, for example, salary numbers and people and their jobs. And again, we already know that there will be for sure a bias in these kind of data sets if they're just sourced without thinking. There will be, depending on what field, what country, what age, class, you are potentially, you have a bias in the data if you want, for example, to develop an algorithm that says how much you should pay your employees, your employees which is a, a thing that, that people are doing, and there is a gender bias in it, obviously that's terrible because it's not foreseen to pay people who are women less, but that's just how it is Because in our this society. algorithm
0: actually takes the data from what is existing, previously existing, takes the data from all the companies, for instance, in the field, and then analyze it and reproduce it. So the inequality then stays the same.
1: Yes, so the way it's working is that if you collect data and you don't do this carefully, because if you're a good data scientist, you're trained to be alert, you're trained to watch out for these kind of biases and you want to eliminate them as good as possible. But let's say you just take data from jobs in the Swiss banking sector, for example, and you want to know what people are earning. What you're doing in a machine learning algorithm is that you let the algorithm kind of find a pattern in the data. So it will naturally learn how to, for example, connect a certain profile of a certain person with a certain background to a salary number. And it learns this connection by looking at... all the other people that it gets as a data that it can train on. And if you just take data without thinking about it from, as I said, the Swiss banking sector, you will definitely get the gender bias in it. And if you then would use such an algorithm in order to predict what you should pay someone who's female and entering a company, you then would get the same gender bias that you already have. For, for salaries
0: if if the... nothing is done against yeah, it exactly and how is it today in companies do you think
1: developers are really aware of these problems and they are really working against it um i think this example that i was doing it was a really really simple example because i think it's easy to explain and everybody can relate to it but obviously if you have a body of text data and it's unfiltered text data from Various sources, for example, this is much harder to filter. It's much harder to also filter out racial biases. But the only way I believe it's possible, if you're extra aware of these biases, the people who are sourcing the data or are not sourcing it, but at least evaluating the results, they need to be aware of what potentially could be a bias. And I think there it's also really beneficial if you have a diverse team who can, you know, watch, you know, four eyes um, are catching more biases than two in that sense. What do you think
0: of all these initiatives that actually exist? You are part of them with Code Excursion, one of those initiatives that are really supporting women and uh, even exclusively for women, but you are not the only one. There are many others, like I'm thinking about a Women in Tech. How important it is to have such initiatives pushing for women?
1: I think obviously doing one of these initiatives myself or with Code Excursion shows that I think that it's important and I think there are so so many other um, parts. It's not just women in tech and actually educating them in, in technology. It's also, for example, negotiating the salary and fighting for your rights in that sense. And I think all of these initiatives have some kind of topic that they are addressing. And I think it's really important, but it's also really important that in a small country like Switzerland, that we are joining forces and that we are working together. We know each other and we know that we can go to each other um, for help and support. And I think that's what conferences like the Tech Together conference is doing by bringing together all the organizations together with companies in order to create a platform for exchange. So
0: there is a kind of sorority that happens that really, that's really working.
1: Yes, I think we can always improve, but at least for Code Excursion, we have many really wonderful and helpful contacts in the industry amongst these initiatives where we, you know, go back and forth, helping each other with their projects, with our project. Yes.
0: Are you for initiatives like quotas, for instance, to really push women more into the fields of science and technology?
1: Yes, I think, as most feminists would say, I'm pro female quota in, for example, leadership positions until there is somewhat of um, an equilibrium. And then I, I'm also in favor of getting rid of that quote as fast as possible but we have to do something in order to create equality
0: so of course you are a feminist yes (laughs) how do you do to be a feminist
1: well i think code excursion is is somewhat a feminist initiative in that sense um it's not you know i'm not i'm not in that sense political but creating a space where you are aware and where you actually address the needs of women in order to succeed in a field, I think that's kind of a feminist initiative because you want to create um, equal chances. And I think that's what we are doing with Code Excursion, or that's at least what we hope to do.
0: Super nice. Well, Céline, we are coming to an end of the discussion. But to finish with, I always ask some final questions. So to start with, do you have a new exciting project that you would like to talk about?
1: So with Code Excursion... We always try to find, you know, new, exciting directions in coding that we could go that are also exciting for us because we don't know about them yet, because we are also students of the Code Excursion. And recently we got into creative coding, which is a direction that's more going into art. So there is, you know, if you go to museums these days, there is a lot of art pieces that are interactive, related to tech and... Again, in this field, there is again a bias because it's also technology in the end. And we are trying to get into it ourselves and create content in order to give access to these um, programming languages and creating interactive art pieces. That would be, you know, the next thing that we we hope to do. That's a really cool
0: idea. Did you have a really hard time? Some moment where you were like why am i studying science for instance why am am, am i so hard to myself a hard time in your in your studies now or in your experience with code excursions, where you thought you were going to drop everything you were doing
1: (laughs) i think the whole physics bachelor was this kind of experience you always think oh no i will never understand it i am way too stupid this is too hard i cannot do it anymore but then you kind of do it because of your friends or You know, and you keep on it, but...
0: Because of the community again. Yes. (laughs) Even if they were only men. Well, actually, if you were a man for 24 hours, what would you do? If... God,
1: I really don't know. I probably would try to do as much sports as possible and see how it feels and whether there is actually a difference in having a stronger body and how it feels to run up Eutlberg or something like that.
0: You're not the only one who said this. (laughs) (laughs) Raphael Hirler said the same. Really?
1: Yeah. What are you scared of? Um, Death. (laughs) What inspires you? Unpredictable things.
0: And where do you go when you want to escape? Um, The forest. What are you proud of? I think my friends. My friends, yes. And who would you like to listen in this podcast?
1: Um, I would love to listen to Nora Wilhelm. She is the founder of Collaboratio Helvetia. And as far as I remember, I only saw her once in a workshop, but that workshop was really inspiring to me. They focus on collaboration. And I think that's another thing that we need to think about also from a female point of view is how do we collaborate in a job? If we think about women in the leadership positions, then we always expect these women to be like men in that sense, right? You have to um, represent the same strength and like a, a man would doing the job, but actually maybe female qualities are more, would also express leadership in a different way. And I think her project of collaborating with each other is addressing that, is addressing to create um, gender equality in switzerland and i think her input is really necessary great yeah (laughs) we'll
0: check directly what she's doing thanks a lot celine it was super interesting thanks for all your inputs thank you sean (laughs) i wish you a nice evening thank you That's it. Our discussion is over. I hope you've enjoyed it. To help grow brilliant, please rate this podcast with five stars. Give it a nice comment and share it around you to minimum two friends or colleagues. It's precious. And I hope that Céline will have made you want to learn as much as possible every day. A bientôt sur Brillante.